0: Hello and welcome to the Emotive Pixels podcast. This is season three, episode four, God of War. The new ones, both of them, but mainly Ragnarok. It's me, Nate, your host today. Really, with the brains of the operation, Craig. Hello, Craig. How are you? How are you doing tonight? I'm great. I'm here to get educated. I thought we would begin with a question. Okay. What was your first console?
1: Oh man. And uh, I feel
0: like you should go first.
1: Okay. Um, So the first console that felt like the console that is like the one that shaped my childhood would have actually been the PlayStation 1. So that's the one that I remember playing like Jet Moto and when Gran Turismo came out and um, playing Road Rash and, oh God, what else... Um, what else is out there? Just, that was fucking terrible. I've played none of
0: those games. I didn't, I've only touched the PS1 once at a friend's house after the PS2. And uh, that's a weird console to go back to.
1: That is a weird, Yeah, I mean, especially if you were playing it before the DualShock existed. Yes. That's another thing. It's like, whoa. Yeah. There was a time when analog sticks were not on the controller.
0: Yeah, that's a crazy feature for a mid-cycle launch. Yeah. I, <laughs> I don't even know what today's equivalent of that would be. Like, hey, should we just add thumbsticks to a controller? Yeah, well, seems actually, like a good idea. I guess launching PSVR, like, midway through a generation's also kind of... Like, I wonder if in 20 years that'll seem nuts.
1: I mean, or the, the Move controllers, although that was, like, a shitty peripheral. Or Connect. Um Yeah, I guess this... Betrays the
0: question of, like, okay, what's actually going to be, like, ubiquitous in 20 years?
1: Yeah, that's true. Which probably not PlayStation
0: 3's Move controllers.
1: Yeah, probably not. Uh, What was it for you? Um, My first
0: thing I ever, like, we got a personal computer, like, uh, right around the time of Windows 95's launch. And that was my first, like, real,
1: like. You literally uh, said console. Well, I. I didn't specify. Did you have a computer when you were young? Yeah. I was like, I wasn't I, remembering I, like Encarta 95 and then missed well, not and being a, like, like, what even is this? Maybe that's a game. That has an interactive menu. So maybe that is a game. Yeah. What a callback. Yeah. By Paulie's justifications.
0: Um, Okay. No, it was definitely the Xbox. And then I got a PS2, but yeah, I got the Xbox, wow, man, I don't know, quite a ways into the life cycle of the Xbox. And that was kind of like that was when I first learned what like console gaming was and I I just feel it's weird even growing up playing games when you first get a console especially when you get a console late it's that that's like when your relationship with games starts which is weird
1: I guess that's a whole other podcast but that is a whole other podcast because that's the other piece that I was thinking about I was like the PlayStation 2 is probably one of the places that became more formative but like the PS1 was definitely the gateway yeah, that makes
0: sense. That was like kind of, the PS1 was kind of like your childhood like relationship with, oh, wait yeah. a minute. Hold on. Yeah. Hold on. I answered okay. wrong. The Game Boy Color. Oh, That's the real answer. That was That's like That's actually my formative... surprising. Yeah. That was like my formative relationship with gaming, I feel. But I, 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 like I mean, Pokemon? I think we talked about what this way playing? back in the day. Yeah. I remember playing Pokemon Yellow
1: on the Millennium.
0: Oh, it man. It was like a vivid a, early memory of, yeah.
1: A great example. Did you I, play I red read, and blue, or did you just start with no, was yellow when you was started? No, yellow was first. I, okay. I
0: vividly remember thinking, is this thing going to stop working? Because that's going to be a problem for me, because yeah. I like this. <laughs> and the, <laughs> and then and then the batteries died. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, uh, oh, man. Yeah, that's a, a different picture answer. Yeah, that is really good different culture in gaming back then too although pokemon still re- relevant
0: it hasn't changed i mean i guess this this and last year we can no longer make the joke it hasn't changed much but can still absolutely make that joke it is <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh it is it is i i mean i wonder how much of our like nostalgia in our 30s is really just determined by the first like anytime a game comes out with game boy color aesthetic i'm like i should play that even if it's in genres i know i won't like I mean, are you how are you doing with all this PS One D aesthetic? Yeah, I guess was, maybe is that just a
1: PC indie space thing? It's not. I was I was thinking I was like, man, I remember Fantavision, the fireworks game on the PS Two, <laughs> <laughs> and if that, if that was the indication of the things that I play these days, then woof. Talk about you're niche in the art market. house games, but you're not into that art house. Yeah, I was going to say. Although Fantavision's coming back on the PSVR Two, so maybe that something is something to discuss in the future. The, man. <laughs> There's an episode. Yeah, how
0: many hours do you think we can record on that? Oh, I'd say one tops. Yeah, I mean, that's... We just go into remembering our best firework shows in real life. That doesn't sound like a bad episode. It does not. All right, should we talk about some God of War things? We should talk about some God of War things. So this is kind of a new format. This is a format born purely out of... Craig likes Sony stuff. I I don't don't really have a Sony console that I'm playing anymore. Uh, lots of people said God of War was amazing. And then the new one came out and people in my circles were less warm on it. And it was one of those things where the first God of War was such a masterpiece that to me as an outsider, hearing people talk about Ragnarok almost sounded like they were ragging on it pretty substantially. And I, th- I think occasionally they would remember to say like, dude, just to be clear, this is also an amazing game. It's just <laughs> kind of suffering in the comparison wow. to the first one. And I... This kept coming up to the point where I was like, I should ask Craig about that. And then I was like, I well, should just put this on record. Yeah. I'd love to hear Craig talk about God of War, because I think it's a series that clicked with him in uh, adulthood in a way, and maybe you know, I could get him to talk to me about it. So that's what we're here for. Excellent. Do you want to, how do you want to do this? Do you want to kind of talk about what the series is? Or do you want to yeah, get straight into the plots?
1: No, let's, I think we should table set with, where God of War was when it was coming back in in 2018, and talk about this two-piece here being, you know, two parts of a whole and how that was influenced and also tried to resolve the original uh, trilogy that then turned into the fourth game with Ascension and the other um, experiences on PSP and so on and so forth. I do have a dumb
0: question up top is is the new series a duology or is there a is there like word of a third coming
1: no this is a duology so there is not a third originally it was planned to be a trilogy and they decided to make Ragnarok as one game um, and this actually kind of goes into the human aspect of this where they were looking at the development time and it being about 10 years to develop both full games and they're like we 10 years is a long part of your professional career to work on like one project, adding another, you know, three to four year development timeline on the back of that takes up, you know, probably half of some people's entire professional careers. So they decided to put it all into this and move on to either something different or who knows what uh, Cory Barlog has been cooking up um, as the creative director at Sony Santa Monica. Fascinating. I mean, I love a duology. It's yeah. great. All right, so so let's get into this. Yeah, so God of War originally started out as a PlayStation 2 action title, right? So we're looking back into the early aughts when it was originally created, and David Jaffe, who, famous for Twisted Metal at the time, was the creative director of the first God of War. Um, That was back in 2005, and at that time, like, it was one of the definitive action titles there, but Kratos being the lead character was never a character that people fell in love with, right? Like he was a a brutal, hyper-masculine character that was seeking revenge on the gods at the time because he was um, kind of forced into a position where he ended up murdering his wife and child and not knowing that he was murdering them, and that's why he has the white skin, which is the ashes of his family, um, across him. And, you know, that franchise ended up bearing out to be, you know, substantial, obviously, throughout the PlayStation 2 era and into the PlayStation 3. And something that's interesting across those games is that each of them had a different creative director as well as it moved through it. So Corey Barlog took the ropes on God of War 2, um, and then I think it was Stig that took God of War 3, and there was obviously continued success across that entire franchise, people loved it, but Kratos as a character never became someone that people loved, right? Like, he was always almost the laughing joke of just this brute that is just constantly screaming across these games, and has essentially no redeeming qualities, his Bad decisions continue to lead to the deaths of many gods and everyone across Olympus. I guess that's the other piece, right? Is that the original one was set uh, in Greek mythology and uh, him going after murdering Zeus. And like no one ever was like, oh yeah, I love Kratos. I'm really into this revenge story. It was like, this dude kind (laughs) of sucks. And also the decisions he makes kind of suck. But the games are really fun and the gameplay is great
0: was was God of War a similar like uh artistic achievement relative to the PS2 generation was that like pushing kind of gaming frontiers in its own way it absolutely
1: was at that time especially I think God of War 2 really started pushing it forward but it was one of the places where these massive action set pieces really started to take hold right where all of a sudden you're like on a level and climbing up the back of something And then the camera pans way out and you see that you're on this, you know, hundreds of foot tall creature um, or at that point like a giant that's like scaling the walls of a mountain. And Kratos is just this little, you know, pinprick of a of a icon in the middle of the screen. And there wasn't a lot of games doing something at that grandeur or level of spectacle. And technically it was impressive to see that sort of thing occur as well.
0: And it was kind of known or referred to. This is kind of a distant memory now, but wasn't it kind of the originator of QuickTime events? It was definitely. I was
1: trying to recall back, you know, 20 years almost. Right. Um, And QuickTime events were prolific throughout it, especially throughout those, you know, massive boss battles. And I don't know if this was the direct intention. I think it probably was. But at that point, you know, it was to. live out your power fantasy right and so you could have these epic moments where you still had some semblance of control but also you didn't have that moment of failure where hey this thing looks really cool and you see something in like a trailer or games marketing and you're like i can't actually pull that off it gave you the opportunity to pull off these larger than life ridiculous actions while still having some semblance of interaction with what was occurring on the screen yeah, and
0: I I think from a game design perspective, it's like, how do you let the player have interactivity when the camera's, like,
1: a mile away from them? Yeah, exactly. Or when so, there's just a crazy amount of things happening on the screen or things moving around and you're like, there's no way that you can remain in focus with what all else is occurring and being able to take in the scene. Totally. So, you know, after the original trilogy, um, 1, 2, and 3... I think that at that point they were trying to find their footing on where the series would go. They ended up doing God of War Ascension, um, and it didn't really find an audience. And after that, I think a lot of people were like, it's time to put this on ice, whether that be the franchise as a whole or the character of Kratos. And I think we started to see at that point larger society trends you know outside of the gaming space start to move away from this hyper masculine character and people start to be like i'm interested in stories that have at least the semblance of nuance <laughs> like right um <laughs> and oh murder rampage yeah so i think you started to see people being like is kratos relevant um what was he ever is probably a good question but a real opportunity to look at what made this franchise, what defined this franchise, and determine is this where we want to head um, with our marquee, you know, characters from PlayStation standpoint or from Sony's standpoint, right? As they're looking at like who represents our brand, and is this guy one of the characters that you want out there for toys or, you know, cross functional marketing branding efforts, like. Kratos probably isn't the guy that you want on the box. Yeah, I think that
0: gaming got a little self-conscious about itself around that time. Absolutely. As well as, like, when Sony has to actually try to ask the question of, like, how do we grow our audience and appeal to a more diverse set of people, yeah, yeah, I agree. Probably
1: not Kratos. And, you know, across this, so, just to put it in perspective for the timeline as well, um, The original God of War 2005, God of War Ascension was 2013. um, And that was pretty much where the franchise went on hold, right? So throughout that time, um, there was also a couple remakes and remasters. Um, I guess remasters, not remakes, but there was that. There was also uh, a couple PSP games that told different stories uh, throughout that time all with Kratos though is still the main character
0: yeah um, I I, I I'm still reeling from 2013 I didn't know that that's <laughs> I mean I guess that's a decade ago but woof <laughs> it's
1: a decade ago yeah so that was Ascension and then I guess that leads directly into the development of God of War 2018 Um, so let me break that down a little bit so Corey Barlog, who I mentioned, was the director of God of War II, ended up leaving Sony Santa Monica uh, sometime thereafter. Um, He left to go to other game development studios, and he was at Avalanche for a period of time, rumored to be working on a Mad Max game. Um, That was supposed to be a tie-in to Fury Road, I believe, and someone should fact-check me on that, but I believe it was a Mad Max game. Um, And then that never came to fruition, at least that version that he was working on. He went to Crystal Dynamics and was working on the Tomb Raider franchise and pitched a single-shot Tomb Raider that was never made. And after that, he was rehired back to Sony Santa Monica uh, specifically to make this, and the broad perspective at Sony at the time when he came back in and was pitching this game was like no. <laughs> Kratos is on ice. We also agree that it's time to move on. We should be doing something else here. And like you need to convince us that there's a story worth telling about Kratos to have us green light putting the studio on this. Um and Corey ended up bringing about a perspective that the game would be about Kratos and his son. And I think the overarching theme here was that Kratos would teach Atreus, who's his son in the 2018 game, how to be a god, and Atreus would teach Kratos how to be human. And that kind of set the stage for what God of War twenty eighteen would end up being about. So I guess the an elephant. I mean, that's
0: very cool, and I think that from what I know, that's executed to spectacular effect. So <laughs> yeah, I guess Sony did their homework before <laughs> greenlighting that. But uh, the elephant in the room for me is definitely the like, why were why were Sony's two tentpole franchises in the last decade dad games? Was were they kind of approved and conceived of at the same time? Were they conceived in like parallel to each other, where one was a daughter game and one was a son
1: game? So it's a good question. I think that it's a broader perspective on the medium, actually. I think, yes, two of these things happened at Sony, um, The Last of Us being the other game that you're referencing. And at least I think so. Maybe you're referencing yes. Uncharted. Um, <laughs> oh, well, that's fun. <laughs> uh, which becomes a dad game. but It does become a dad game. Yeah. Also a brother game. Uh, also brother got the whole family family game it's almost the fast and the furious of gaming um oh man it's all about family that's an original take (laughs) (laughs) um i think when we're looking at you know the mid teens of uh the 2000s You're looking at an industry that's been in existence for 30 plus years, right? Like, into some level of maturity since the 80s. um, And a ton of designers and directors that have grown up with games, have played games, and are now having children of their own. And are looking at the medium as something to reflect their current life as opposed to, you know, what their life might have looked like when they were growing up with the medium. Um, So I think the fact that so many developers were being parents, I think is probably one of the larger sea changes that influenced uh, the direction of gaming across, not just Sony's franchises, but I think across the medium as a whole, you started to see the approach to gaming shift from that capacity.
0: Okay. Or at least stories
1: within gaming. Um, Yeah, that makes sense. And when looking at um god of war 2018 right the one other kind of i guess elephant in the room here is that cory barlog also has a son um and clearly was him how to be a god yeah clearly i mean at this point you might look at him as like a god within the industry um although <laughs> well wait no 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 the son had to teach cory how to be human oh that is true yeah which might explain oh man what a great point. Um, 'Cause Corey does actually come off as someone that is very human and does not have the auteur mystique that I think that you get with uh some of the other creators from earlier. Corey Barlog, the anti Kojima. Yeah, absolutely. And you're like <laughs> it's like out here just having a good time. Um should we dive into a little bit of what the plot of twenty eighteen included and yeah, in kind of the emotional beats that it hit on? Yes. Okay. So I'm I'm going to keep this high, high level, but if you want to have uh, any discussion about any of the points, please feel free. Great. So game is set in Norse mythology at this point and still is the same Kratos, but a far more grounded take. And when the game starts, um, Kratos and Atreus are... Mourning the loss of Kratos' wife, uh, Faye, who is also Atreus' mother. And she passes away before the start of the game. And the game starts, you know, with essentially um, her being cremated and understanding that her final wish was to have her ashes taken to the highest peak in the Nine Realms and have her ashes scattered from there. And that, well, I that have... journey would be taken on by Kratos and Atreus. I have an interruption already. Uh, ignoring the fact that that's probably
0: one of the best setups in gaming it's basically <laughs> oh. the plot equivalent of starting journey and pointing your camera at the mountain it's like yeah, yeah i should i should go there quite literally um Fay was <laughs> what i guess the joke way to ask this question is is Faye one of the women that kratos like captured in the <laughs> ps2 series of games <laughs> like oh man and the nice way being like is Faye someone
1: we met in the earlier games So, great question. Faye is not someone that we met in any of the other games. Um, Probably for the best. Yeah. And that's one of the other things, right? Like, looking back at the other games, there was essentially sex mini games. There was debauchery. Like, Kratos was whoring it up, for lack of a better term. So, again, not the character that you're like, oh, yeah, we should hang our hat on this guy, right? Right. Um, And it was a little... Looking back, and I think even at the time, people were like, "This is a little tr- like try hardy at trying to be edgy," um, yeah. but people ate it up at the time, right? Like, you know, junk food still tastes good. Um. So, Faye and pretty much every character introduced in 2018 is new. There, there's okay. no tie back or callback um, to the Greek mythology. Outside of Atreus or Kratos, okay. And when the game starts, as well, Atreus doesn't know that Kratos is a god. Well, I, how do we? I, I maybe you're going to answer this, and if so, disregard me. But how do Kratos. we get
0: from Greek to Norse?
1: So they essentially hand wave it away. Like Kratos is just oh here. Um, they do talk about it a little bit throughout the game, but. Within the mythology of the God of War universe, like, Greek and that area existed in its own space, and Kratos traveled up to Norway, Norwegian area, um, where all of this is taking place instead, and that just kind of exists. Okay, great. And I can't remember, there is a specific time gap also, like, between when he left, um the Greek era and by the time all of this starts to occur. I can't remember how many it might have been like hundreds of years or something like that. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Um so they start off on their journey, right? And they encounter a bunch of other characters. These characters will be important throughout 2018 and also Ragnarok, so I'll mention them here. Not gonna go into detail. Freya, who is a goddess, and then Mimir, who's like the world's smartest man, um, were both encountered. Mimir was actually chained to a tree at the top of the peak in Midgard, where they thought they were going. Um, Thought they were going to the top of that mountain to uh, share her ashes. And then found out. My brilliant game description is a fake out. It's a little bit. It's uh, go to that mountain and then learn that actually, the highest peak is in Jotunheim, not Midgard. If you go across all the nine realms, is this like you get up to K two and they're like, by the way, yeah, yeah." surprise, it's actually a little bit more. Okay, um, and Jotunheim is the realm of the giants, so it's a little bit of foreshadowing here, um. But Mimir, you chop his head off and you strap him to Kratos' belt and he continues to talk to you and tell stories throughout the rest of the game. Um, so that's neat. Great. Um, and he's in the second game too, right? Yeah. He is, he'll, he'll essentially become a brother to Kratos and like a close confidant in sharing advice and wisdom and also story of the realms and um, trying to give some guidance to Atreus as well. So he sticks with you for most of... Both of the journeys. Um, Overarching... Protagonist... Or, or I guess antagonist here... Is... Balder... Um, you encounter him... He like attacks Kratos to start the game and... Is essentially the... The big baddie here... And... He is the uncle to... Modi and Magni... Who are Thor's kids... So starting to get into that. You kill Modi and Magni, um, and as you continue through, you encounter Brock and Sendri, who are brothers that forge the Leviathan Axe, which is the main weapon that Kratos has. They also forge uh, Mjolnir, so Thor's hammer, and they're along to to help out Kratos. Um, They also have a, you know, kind of a fun little brother- you know, dynamic going on throughout the entire thing as well, so, and they and give a bunch clear, of shit. every yeah. cool character you're introducing
0: to me here, you murder.
1: Uh, You do not murder. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. So, Brock and Sendry just kind of bounce around through the realms as your blacksmiths from a gameplay cool. perspective. They're helping with, like, armor and stuff, but they do become more important in Ragnarok. Okay. Um, Baldur is Freya's son, and... He's got a gate yeah he why <laughs> he um he had a spell of like invulnerability that was cast on him, and so when you originally fight him, you like can't really damage him, he doesn't feel pain or any other feelings um so he's just kind of laughing about it all, but through later in the game, atreus shoots an arrow that pierces uh that spell, and there's a chance for balder to. Be given redemption and like, hey, we don't need to kill you, right? Like, Kratos starting to lean into more of the fatherly instincts for Atreus of, like, it doesn't always have to be about revenge. Um, Balder does not take that and tries to kill Freya, um, and during that moment, Kratos ends up killing Baldur, and Freya, being Baldur's mother, Swears vengeance at Kratos that, like, you know, you stole that decision, and like, I may have wanted to die for my son if that would have been what he would have wanted, type scenario. Um, so she ends up being pissed at him. Okay. It's fun. Yeah, it's a little fun. Um, eventually, a whole bunch of other stuff happens, but Kratos and Atreus make it to Jotunheim. Um, throughout this entire time, they're like finding murals along the way that are uh painted by giants and you know Kratos and Atreus are learning about what is prophesized to be occurring because so the the giants you know know of all of the different things that are going to happen and when they make it to Jönheim they make it to the peak and there is a final mural there and on that it depicts their entire journey and shows that Freya Kratos is or not Freya uh, that Fey Kratos' wife was a giant, um, and Atreus is referred to as Loki. Now, um, I have a question. Yeah. Do you think you could be married to someone
0: and not realize they're a giant?
1: So Kratos knew that she was a giant.
0: Uh Actually. So did Atreus not know? Or is it just us that didn't know? Because as actually I recall,
1: think... the game kind of starts without you really seeing her, right? Yeah, you never see her. Um, in 2018 and, oh man, my memory is not working. I'm trying to remember you, Kratos might actually not know that she's a giant. I'm pretty sure he does though. Um, giants are like a, a species
0: more than a size thing, right? In correct. mythology. Yeah. Okay.
1: So she's like, you see her body like wrapped up. So you see like a body wrapped up and put onto a pyre where it's burned, um, you know, Viking funeral style. And so you see, uh, it, it's like a normal sized human. Okay. Um, and once uh, Atreus realizes, like, oh, I'm part giant, and then he is he learns that Kratos is a god. So he's and also Kratos is part mortal. So there's, you know, now Atreus is half giant, quarter god, quarter mortal, um, which kind of sets up a lot of that but the main yeah and and you find out that his giant name uh would be loki the main thing about 2018 when looking back at it right is really about the growth of kratos and atreus and their journey from father and son it's really focused on the two of them um everyone else that plays into it is like playing a supporting role that's Helping to further their relationship and their bonding, and you know, there's there's constant jokes of Kratos calling him boy, and boy, it's mm-hmm. it's great. But throughout that time, you're seeing that like Kratos is emotionally stunted, right? Like he isn't in a great space from how to be a father or how to be human, right? So that is really where Atreus is like a kid and doesn't know any other way and doesn't know the pain of losing people or of murdering your family or any of these other things, right? So he's much more of a, a you know, playful character and is trying to get into trouble and is asking all these questions and is like full of curiosity and trying to learn about the world. And Kratos sees the world as like this place of pain and torment and terror that he needs to protect Atreus from. And as you see them kind of go through their their journey, you start to see the kinship build, and Kratos begins to soften as Atreus begins to harden in some aspects, but retain his humanity. When we learn that Atreus
0: is Loki, we as the like is that commented upon in the game? Does that like suddenly like clue? Kratos into the fact that his son has a destiny, or does Kratos kind of already know that, or it, is only the audience the one that knows kind of about Loki's reputation?
1: They it's definitely remarked upon in the game as like, what does this mean for you? And Kratos is like very quick to be like, You're Atreus, not Loki, like you don't we don't have to um like our destiny is not written is very much a thing okay. that Kratos continues to to work against throughout <laughs> both. Despite games. seeing all these murals, yeah, yeah, that's gotta it's be like, tough. We have our own choices here to make, um, and at the very so that's that's pretty much the end of that game. And at the very end, you get back to you know the original house and, um there because of the actions that they've set forth here like the 3 year long Fimble Winter is set to begin early and once Fimble Winter ends ragnarok begins so um, atreus has a vision of thor arriving at the end of fimbulwinter Winter um, to kind of close out the game signaling like ragnarok is is coming so Fimble
0: Winter is myth- mythologically preceding Ragnarok yeah. which is the process of the end of the
1: world or is that the like the place of the end of the world it's pretty much the process of the end of the world it's like okay this is what will the prophecy is that um within this world that when Ragnarok occurs like all nine realms will be destroyed essentially so um, what what is it that they did specifically
0: that kicked off Fimble winter
1: it's oh man I know you're gonna you're gonna ask that
0: is it just, like, one of the things they I, did, or is I it this kind of, like, entire journey?
1: Okay. Yeah. Um, Word. Yeah. Really wish I remembered the answer to that. No, that's, um, I mean, that's okay. Yeah. More about the feeling, man. Oh, um, man. And one of the other pieces here was, throughout the, the first half of the game, right, to bring in a little bit of the gameplay and and some of the other pieces that were component here is you use this new weapon that was never prevalent in any of the other God of Wars. Um, and also the camera never cuts. It's a very intentional thing at any point throughout the entire game. Um, so you're always with Kratos, like never leave. That is a flex. Yeah. You throughout any of the travel, anything that you do between any of the nine realms, um, It's all one single unbroken shot. And And there are... Are there load screens? There's... Sort of. There's, like, portals that you walk through, and that's where they hide a load screen, but... Interesting. It's still one um, take. It's still one take, and yeah, so essentially, like, you walk through a portal um, onto like, the world tree, and as you walk around the tree, what's actually happening from a technical standpoint is the the next world is loading in, but, like, you're still in the space following Kratos, and then you walk through a portal on the other side into some other realm or area. Um, That's but, so clever. Yeah, but it keeps the the shot the entire time. Um, But one of the journeys that you do go on in this... Uh, is, like, you have the Leviathan Axe as your, your weapon throughout the entire, most of the game, and about halfway through, uh, Kratos has to return back home, and you see that the Blades of Chaos, which were originally forged and um, attached to him, to his arms, and were the weapons that he killed his original wife and daughter with, are still yeah. with him in the house and sitting underneath um, underneath the house. And he has to retrieve those and kind of go through his own personal journey to reclaim them in some capacity and reckon with what had happened previously and able, to enable him to move forward. That Which, makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So that was kind of the way where they were able to not just pay homage to, like, oh, yeah, this character's had this thing and this is why he's kind of a shitty dad. Um, But also, like, he has to go through his own process of looking at himself and having to see, like, a physical manifestation of something that was, you know, the piece that led into him um, and kind of created who he was. And he has to, you know, reform a new bond with those as well. So... While They are weapons, they're also in a, like an emotional stand in, um, more so for them. Um, super cool! So that's 2018, very much like I said, father, daughter, father, son journey. <laughs> um, and within that entire thing as well, there's so much conversation, and Kratos still doesn't talk a whole lot, but you start to see that there is, like, a shell of a person there, and then you start to see some of that growth come through him and his character talking, and um, this voiced by a new actor at this point that just did a phenomenal job of, like, inflecting the pain, but also humanity into who this character now was, and really reframed it into, like, oh, shit, we can, like, root for this guy. Like, he's trying to make good decisions for the first time. Um, And that's where one of the largest shifts probably was, is, like, he's actually trying to reckon with maybe revenge and murdering everything isn't the path forward. Maybe there's a different way. Right. And I guess maybe we can talk about kind of the
0: reception of this game. I guess maybe after Ragnarok's summary, um, I don't know what. Or yeah. do you want to kind of go into that now?
1: Uh, we can talk about it a little bit here, because um, you you ended up in a different place. Where I guess what are you what are you curious about from the reception at this point? Because probably going to I mean, a uh, lot of different areas. I had just.
0: I, could, I didn't find many people who had anything negative to say about the first game at all, Yeah. then or now. Um, it seems like it was hailed as a masterpiece in a way that was almost more... It felt like it was a little quieter than the praise The Last of Us got, but I feel yeah. like it was more consistent and even and long-tailed.
1: I think that's true. One thing that is unique in some capacity here is like, the Last of Us and some of these other games that were capturing serious themes like, felt very serious throughout. Yeah, God of War felt like a, like a video-ass video game. Like, you're still getting collectibles and there's random side quests and there's like all the other trappings of like modern video game stuff happening and upgrading armors and like all that type of stuff that people kind of expect from an, an action-adventure game, but it's like unabashedly video gaming in a way that I think by just recognizing like hey we are a video game like the point of this is also to be fun to play and not just be a super serious story Um there's not many other things that I can like are there games that I can reference that are so specifically video gaming or it just like pops up like a giant tool tip of the tutorial and it's like here's the buttons that you need to be pressing it's like oh yeah I guess I'm I'm in a video game as well which consistently cracks me up even when playing the second one, too. He like, explode chests, right? Yeah. Like, like, like just, just like the good old days. Yeah, Kratos, like, walks by and sees, like, a treasure chest and just, like, rips the top off and, like, throws it away or, like, slams into a wooden chest and collects loot. And you're like, all right, this is all utterly ridiculous, but also grounded in a guy just trying to take his wife's ashes to the top of a mountain um, and follow her final
0: request. There's also humor throughout the game, right? Uh, Head on the waist guy is pretty funny, isn't he?
1: Yeah, Mimir is constantly offering... He'll tell stories of, like, Norse mythology, um, of, like, how people got in trouble or, like, relationships that happened and things of that nature that is just kind of constantly feeding that into you as you're wandering throughout the world and um, helping to add flavor text essentially but those things do add substantial context to to the world that you're existing in too and like why this might shape atreus to be a different type of person or grow into a different type of man than a uh, kratos was yeah that makes sense
0: so i think that the video game humor over the topness isn't entirely dis uh dis disharmonious with the game's tone overall right
1: yeah it is interesting that you have like The steel thread of this is, like, a very serious, like, somber piece. But all of the fibers coming off of that um, kind of lean back into, hey, we all know what we're here for, right? The good times.
0: Yeah. The slashy slash slash. Slashy slash slash. Are there there any quick time events in this?
1: Uh, No. Okay. I
0: mean, that makes sense. That is...
1: Thoroughly out of favor by now, but... Yeah, that would have been a pretty fun thing to bring back. Not even Um, a retro, yeah. Actually, I'm trying to remember that in some of the boss battles, are there quick-time events? I think there is timed... There might be time button presses. There might be.
0: Let's see. Are there quick-time events in God of War 2018? God of War needs to bring back quick time events. Uh, no. Barlog said no in
1: 2017.
0: There's someone on Reddit saying they missed them.
1: (laughs) I guess not. Yeah. I was like, there's definitely, I think instead of, uh, quick time events, you essentially like trigger actions and it does allow them to play out just a little bit more directly. Um, there's so it's like a, a diegetic quick time event. Yeah, there's definitely hints of quick time events in Ragnarok, though. There is like combo moves that you pull off with Atreus where like it will have, tell you to hit square or something to shoot an arrow at a specific time. Although it's not I don't really know if you can fail it, which you know might be a little bit different there. Fair. But yeah, I mean, God of War twenty eighteen is universally hailed as one of the greatest games of all time. At this point, um, you'll—it's not unusual or uncommon to hear critics, reviewers reference twenty eighteen as their favorite game of all time. Um, so clearly looked at as kind of a masterpiece within the genre. Um, and to your point, that's not something that's really shifted five years on, which... No. There's so much within the industry that does shift after even two or three years, and people look back and they're like, was it as good as we think it was? Um,
0: well, I think it's. it seems like it... My impression from the outside is that it's that's a product of its fidelity and, um, like, graphical, technical, and... Uh, otherwise, fidelity plus its like authenticity with the character. Plus, the like, I don't think you could discount the like, the masterful remaking of a character that was like, <laughs> there's a journey from, uh, <laughs> to Ash's delivery, right? But there's also the journey from our childhood memories of this character as something unredeemable.
1: Yeah. And I think that's one of the places that you do look at how, how it was received at the time where people were like, I hate this guy. Like, I don't... I have right. no interest in sitting alongside him for 20 hours and then people leave it and they're like, oh, this is not my favorite game of all time. It's like, wait, what?
0: Um, yeah. And I think that that's something that I, I feel like games can do that emotional journey really well just because you have so much time and you're directly controlling someone. Yeah. I think so It seems like a really good thing for games to captive, capture.
1: I think that time spent with character here is integral to... Yeah. ...to the success of this. Um, I think the other piece that you can look at this is that, right, 2005 versus 2018, um, having that time gap, you know, someone could have been born in 2000 and maybe five years old when the first God of War came out, and then, you know, they're 18 and maybe that's their first God of War, and because of how fundamentally human of a story it ended up telling, I think that's one of the other places that it continues to have resonance and will have resonance. It's like a father-kid journey will is something that people will be able to relate to for a very long time, right? It's not something that's like, oh, this crazy thing of like, oh, this guy that murdered his wife and his child and he went on revenge, killing a whole bunch of other people. Like, not super relatable. Like, oh, this guy's mourning his wife that passed away and is going on a journey with his son to fulfill her final wish much more relatable. Yeah, I mean, I think it's the kind
0: of, like, you have your mother threes and what have you, but I think it's the kind of thing that telling that story well and with the fidelity that I think pretty much only Sony can offer is pretty much positioned to make it not only something that is going to be considered good for a long time, but it's also not going to be challenged for a long time. I guess unless Sony decides they
1: want to challenge it by making more, but... Which I think we saw in... 2022 and God of War Ragnarok came out and it's like maybe we Ayo. should go after our own crown shall we so let's talk about that so Yeah, what happens in Ragnarok so that I mean that brings us into a totally different conversation like how do you follow up the one of the best games and best reviewed games of all time right and especially that one cut is also unique to that AAA space right of the, the single yeah. camera cut so it's like you're not going to, if you do a single camera cut again, which they do, um, it's no longer novel and new. It's like, oh, yeah, I would expect that they could do that again. Um, so the way that they shifted Ragnarok is to make it a community. So instead of it being just Kratos and Atreus' story um, and, you know, following them on some new journey of, you know figuring out who who atreus is supposed to be like who is he as loki which is probably the driving motion here they really start to dig into like what exists in this world outside of kratos and atreus like what is the characters and motivations for thor and odin and some of those other gods that you know pop culture as a whole i think has a reference point to and how did they end up becoming relevant and have something resonant to say as well. Um, should I just run through the plot as quickly as I can? I think so. Yeah. Okay.
0: Unless you kind of want to talk about like how this got made, but I figure we can kind of almost like follow the plot discussion with that.
1: Yeah. Uh worth acknowledging we have yet another creative director shift again Um, Corey Barlog does not direct this game and instead hands off the reins he is still the overall creative director and is still at Sony Santa Monica um, but is not the um, director instead uh, Eric Williams who is someone that had been at the studio and worked on every previous installment took over directing duties So, yeah, let's get into it. Um, So at the beginning of the game, Freya, still pissed off and mourning the death of her son, uh, attacks Kratos and Atreus and is pretty much consistently attacking them. you're kind of learning that, like, oh, okay, Atreus is um, trying to understand, like, How do we mend this? And Kratos is much more of, like, we just need to protect ourselves. Like, this is about you and me. I'm going to do what I can as a father to protect you. And they've kind of created a space for themselves um, that's protected from the outside world. Um, The very beginning of the game, uh, Atreus has a wolf, uh, Fenrir, and Fenrir passes away. And that grief transforms Atreus into a bear. New ability. Okay. yeah, (laughs) surprise. Um, And Atreus does not know that he could do this um, and kind of goes off kind of rampaging and Kratos ends up finding him attacking and taking down the bear essentially and able to uh, bring Atreus back to himself and uh, start to kind of understand like, what grief can do to a person if it's not understood and, you know, harnessed or or processed, probably is a better word. Um, okay,
0: so it's like Atreus is going through the journey Kratos went through in the first game. Yeah. Sort of.
1: Sort of. And and also, like, at this point, Atreus is, like, a young teenager, so there's probably, like, you could do a stand-in for puberty and, like, trying it's to figure out who the fuck puberty. he is. Yeah, so... You definitely have that aspect popping up as well throughout the game. That's it's clear that Atreus is a teenager and does teenager shit. Um Odin and Thor show up and offer a peace offering to Kratos and essentially like tell him, like, we're not gonna come after you. We know the prophecy of Ragnarok. Like, let's all play it cool. (laughs) And it seems smart. Uh Odin makes a deal of saying, like, if Atreus abandons his search for Tyr, who he believes is a remaining uh, giant that is still alive, and also the god of war in Norse mythology, um, then everything's copacetic. And Kratos says, no. (laughs) Why does Atreus want to find the giant? Uh, Because there's not known to be any other giants that are alive. And Kratos is looking, to, or not Kratos, Atreus is looking to understand, like, who am I as Loki? Like, what does that mean to be a giant? And ah. I've heard that Tyr is still alive somewhere, and I'm going to search for him to understand more of my purpose from okay. my people. Um, Kratos doesn't know that Atreus was, like, off and sneaking off trying to find Tyr, so... He, like, refuses, and then as soon as they leave, he's like, what the fuck are you doing? Well, why um, would he refuse if he doesn't know Atreus? Is he just
0: suspicious of Odin and Thor in general? Yeah, Just okay.
1: suspicious of them. And they're, like, making an accusation of his son, and he's like, I'm going to stand up for my son. Like, whatever oh, he's you like, say, my son would never do that. And then yeah. five minutes later, you're doing what? Yeah, exactly. Okay. So you have a bit of that, um, and Atreus lets... Um, Kratos know that, yeah, I've been sneaking off and I found out that the shrines that we saw in the first game, the murals that prophesize the fates, are actually, like, a false, like, they're, like, a false finish. Like, there's more to all of those stories than what is painted onto the boards that you see in the first game, and that you can, as a giant, he can access, like, a different space and see more of what was intended to be there, um, and... That's fun. Yeah, so within that, one of the shrines shows that, like, Ragnarok is a lie, and not all of the realms are meant to be destroyed, but only Asgard, where Odin lives, is the one that is likely to be destroyed, or will be destroyed, and there's a new champion that will be left that's a giant. It's implied to be Loki, so that's where Loki's, like, driving thing is. Is like, oh, Ragnarok isn't going to kill everyone... Just Asgard, and, like, I have some very important role to play in it. Okay. Um, Atreus ends up in Jotunheim, the Realm of Giants, and he meets Angerboda, who is also a giant, but is also, like, his age. And she's one of the ones that has been painting the murals um, and knows, you know, the the stories that are going to be written. And, these giants. Yeah, these giants, they know shit. They're just, yeah, okay. Uh, so, and that's one of the interesting things is, like, him transforming into a bear, like, is that a giant thing or is that, like, a god thing because he has Kratos's blood too? Um, we, don't you remember in God of War, um,
0: what well, fuck, was it Ascension? Was it, is that 2013? Ascension was that, 2013, yeah.
1: You'll remember you were a bear the whole time. Do you not remember that? <laughs> but I didn't play it. I was like, the God, Ascension had the multiplayer mode. That was, never mind. That sounds wild. Yeah. If if you want to look at, like, where was gaming at that point, it was like, oh, yeah, we should put a multiplayer mode in Mass Effect and everything else, right? Um, well, God of War makes less sense than the rest. Did tr- yeah, truly baffling. Were there multiplayer um, quick-time events? That would be kind of amazing. No, although that yep, would have been truly incredible. Uh, there was a single player of it too, but anyways. Um But one of the murals that Kratos sees foretells that Kratos is will Kratos will die and Atreus will serve Odin. Um so kind that of getting back great. to to these things of like, this is what the destiny will be. It's like, do you have choice or impact in that? okay um I'm hoping so, the answer is yes <laughs> Atreus sees all of this keeps all of this to himself and is like I'm going to fix this right like as a teenager would do be like, oh I can solve this like I if I know this information then I can make choices that will ensure that this doesn't happen sure um he ends up reuniting with Kratos Kratos is like where the fuck you've been gone for like multiple days yada yada um They end up going on a journey. They find Tyr um, held up into, like, a mine and break him free. And he's, like, become a pacifist in captivity. And he's like, I'm not helping. Like, no more death. Like, I'm not helping with Ragnarok. Y'all are on your own. And he's very much, like, you know, shell-shocked from being held captain for however many dozens or years that he's been... Um, essentially, held against as well. Um, you end up running into Freya again. She attacks. Um, Atreus transforms into bear mode again and starts like attacking the shit out of Freya. And Kratos actually shields her and stops the attack. And she kind of comes out of that space. and was like, okay, like I'm not going to murder you, but you have to help me break free of a curse that binds her specifically to the realm of Midgard um, and Odin put it on her and they were married previously. Uh, Ah, That's like marrying Zeus. Not a smart move. Yeah, not a smart move. So, they end up going on their own kind of path to help Freya be free of this curse and as they're journeying right, you're just getting more opportunity for Kratos and Freya, a mother that lost her son very recently and kratos starts to open up like hey i've lost a kid before too like i know about grief and about death and you start to see more of that emotional maturity start to shine through um and they end up finding some sort of common ground um and make amends of like hey everything kind of sucks but we can figure out a better path forward and like, we need to be the living examples for those that are still here, even if, you know, those that we love are gone. Okay. Um, So you're like, okay, this is some emotion. You're like, this is like 40% in the game. You're like, Jesus. Wait, hold on. Is there a talking
0: head joking on your hip the whole time, or is that with Atreus?
1: Um, I think Mimir is, yeah, he's hanging out somewhere with like Atreus or something okay. or another. Or, yeah, there is... Something that this game does differently is it partners you up with different characters, and there's always a reason of like Mimir gets left behind with like Brock and Sindri or um or Treus is off um doing his own thing, which I'll say in a minute, and uh something else is happening, you're with Freya, like there's always a reason why it's just usually kept to two characters at any given point. Um that makes sense. So,
0: Wait, does does every character have different, like, weapons, then, from a gameplay perspective? So,
1: spoilers. Um, Atreus. Spoilers. So, you are able to play as Atreus for, like, a good half of the game, probably. Something uh-huh. near that. Um, which, definitely, they didn't cover in any of the marketing material. Nothing early on showed, like, hey, you don't play as Kratos for a good chunk of this game. Um Okay. And essentially, so that gets into, like, Kratos and Atreus argue about him being shitty um, and deceitful about, like, the prophecy and all that sort of thing. Also, deceitful Loki, you know. Hey. Yeah. Um, And Atreus flees to Asgard and to Odin um, to essentially, like, Atreus is viewing it as I'm going to Odin to spy on him and figure out like what's happening here, right? Like I'm going there to stop the prophecy. Sure. And Odin the all father is like I know Odin I know might be kind of smart though. Right? Yeah, I yeah, right? Know. Like this kid shows up and he's like, yeah, I'm sure he's here not to try and save his father or anything else going yeah. on. Yeah. Um <laughs> So Odin requests help and says, like, hey, I have this ancient mask that was, like, built by the giants or is of the giants or is of someone. It can see a rift that's between worlds and can grant infinite knowledge and we can stop Ragnarok. Dude, there's no way that this isn't key
0: to making Ragnarok happen.
1: Yeah, <laughs> very clearly. Um, so throughout some of these other areas, there's just, like, some other tidbits that come up where, like, Sendry and Brock the blacksmith from the first game of the brothers like you're out with sendra and you find out that he's like i kind of did something shitty and you find out brock has died previously and brock is like super gruff and seems to have like one screw missing and you find out oh Brock was Brock was brought back to life <laughs> he was but, brocked back yeah it's brocked back and um his soul was never fully reunited. It was like seven eighths of his soul was able to be like brought back from, um, I was gonna, um, Halheim, which is the the realm of the dead. And so like, that's why Brock has never been quite there. He's like not fully there, but Brock doesn't know that he ever died or was brought back. So like, you're like finding out these little other things about the other characters and like, why do they exist and what's happening in their relationships help kind of color everything in as well. Um, Freya and Kratos go to visit the Norns, who are like, they're the truth sayers um, and can tell you what your destiny is. Um, And they pretty much say, Heimdall is destined to kill Atreus, and of course, Kratos like, nope, you ain't killing Atreus. Like, nah, i can dude. figure something out, right? So, I got this. Yeah. So, he goes with Brock um, to figure out a weapon because, like, Heimdall can always like predict or knows, like, what's. Uh, he has, like, incredible foresight. So, he, like, always knows one step ahead. So, he, anytime someone tries to attack him, he's always able to be one step ahead to dodge that, right? And there's the drop near ring, which can be. Uh, changed into a spear and that can overwhelm Ahimdall's foresight, you know, yada yada gaming stuff. Um, yada yada gaming stuff. Exactly. So you kind of, you you go back on that way um, and you get to travel with Brock and Brock you understand him being like his own self-conscious pieces and he, he starts to learn and learns that he was brought back to life and like there's a piece of himself that's missing so you kind of see him start to understand why he isn't all that he was um, and him kind of mourn himself and also the decision that was taken away from him to be brought back so there's a lot of these you know m- there's more diversity in the emotional touch points than there was in 2018 absolutely as well as the relationship
0: sound um, uh I don't know if there's more of them, but they sound like they're multi directional as opposed to everything pointing back to to Kratos. Yeah. Yeah. And Atreus.
1: Uh, absolutely. You're like, oh, these people all have their own shit going on. They're it's all human shit essentially, right? Despite whatever realm or wherever they come from. There's a whole other plot with uh Freya and her brother Freyr, and like there's like so many other pieces here trying to keep the steel thread a little bit. Um and to your point, another piece, right? Like, you are playing as Atreus. So, like, in Asgard, you're doing things and running errands with, like, Thor, who's, like, a drunk, um, and finding out about his daughter and his wife and all sorts of other pieces there as Atreus, um, which is all... There's, there's a lot of interesting pieces there, but I think the most important one is to continue down the thread of Kratos and Atreus. Um... So they end up reuniting, um, Kratos and Atreus, that is. Atreus shares knowledge of, like, Odin's mask and everything that's going on there. Freyr, who is Freya's brother, was captured. Um, they go to rescue him. Throughout that process, Kratos um, runs into Heimdall and attacks him and gets to the point where he could kill Heimdall. He has, like, the choice is there, like, you can murder him. Like, he is injured, and the final blow is there, and Kratos walks away. And it's like, no, like, we don't have to go down this cycle. Like, we don't need to repeat ourselves, right? So, like, you're continuing to get these bits of, like, Kratos, like, really trying to move away from this cycle of violence. Um, And Heimdall essentially removes that option from you by continuing the attack does not step away, continues the cycle of violence, and Kratos is um, essentially forced to kill him. And when he did, that sets Ragnarok in motion. Like, that action is the one that is, like, once he gets the Galahorn, like, that is what sets Ragnarok in motion. That seems
0: fair. Okay.
1: Yeah. So, again, Kratos is showing his humanity, right? Like, continuing to come back to like, oh, I've seen my son make different choices than I can, too. Um, and then Kratos also is continuing to build trust and start to recognize that for Atreus to be able to be someone, like, he has to trust him to be able to walk away and be his own person and make decisions when Kratos isn't there. And Kratos knows the prophecy is, led for, is for him to die. So he's like, how do I protect and try and stop everything that's happening here, but also make sure that my son is set up so he can be successful if I'm no longer around. Um. And Atreus goes back to Asgard to assemble the mask. After collecting a bunch of pieces, he steals it from Odin, brings it back, and gives it to Tyr, um, who's been, you know, pacifist the whole time, and. Has, the guy with shell
0: shock who doesn't want to fight?
1: Yes, that guy.
0: Okay. I don't
1: have any... Okay. Yep. A- and Tyr has, a, like, an abrupt change of heart, and he's like, we should take the fight to sure. Asgard. Yeah, okay. And says something to... And instead of calling Atreus Atreus, Atreus he calls him Loki. And bum, bum, bum. Brock looks, and he's like, what the fuck? Like, nobody calls him Loki. Um... And it's revealed that this version of Tyr has been Odin the entire time. Odin's just been hanging out in essentially the house with everyone, just like chilling, just listening to them make all of their plans, listening to all the different activities. Yeah. Has just been hanging out. Um, so knew every step they were taking the entire way, knew how to capture Fryer, like all those things, um, the entire time. So that's fun. Um, the game also has subtitles on, and at the very beginning of the game, they telegraph it because Tyr will reference Atreus, I think, in audio, but in the subtitle, it's in it says it in Loki. Oh, um, that's fun. So there's, like, a little callback. That's very fun. Yeah, so definitely something eagle-eyed, which they did in the first game as well. There's a point where the camera, as it's, like, following and sweeping up towards Kratos it catches a glimpse of the ground where the blades of chaos are sitting underneath and you can see them like sparkle a little bit, but you, no one would notice it. The, like when you play it for the first time, very fun. Um, so Odin in that moment of like trying to escape after like revealing himself kills Brock. Um, and Sendri Brock's brother loses his shit and goes into like a deep of depression and won't talk to anyone, blames Kratos, blames everyone else for this plan. Um, that his brother is now dead, that he tried to revive once before and is, like, you know, truly shell-shocked by it. Um, And this is where we, like, really start to head towards the end here, which is where we start to move into a space that not I mean, only... we're going to have Ragnarok. Yeah, we're, like, we're heading into Ragnarok and...
0: And it's not clear if it's going to go well for our protagonists, I
1: feel like. No, not clear if it's going to go well for them. And also it's starting to call back towards the early Kratos in the first PS2 games when he was the god of war in Greek and was a general at that time, controlling armies, raiding villages and doing all the sorts of general things that led to the death of his wife and child at the time okay all right um so, so he's feeling like he needs to direct all these people in war and that's causing him to flash back to so there there's never a flashback they don't do anything as like heavy-handed as that which i think is brilliant right it's just more like kratos you need to take the mantle of the general here like you have to do that and no one else is in that space to do it and you can see that he's like does not want to, and then recognizes like there's no one else here to do it. Huh. Um, and so Kratos and Atreus commit to Ragnarok. They're like, we can make our own fate type scenario. Um, and start to rally all of the other realms, um, against, oh man, okay, Asgard to take the fight to them. Um, So this is a brilliant way to get you to traipse through all the realms from the first game, right, basically? So it pretty much—you go through all the realms throughout this game um, and have different side quests and all the—or not even side quests, but different, like, primary missions with your characters. Like, you've gone through and interacted with everyone. So at this point, they actually take all that lifting off the player and send all the side characters to, like, their relevant realm to rally their own people type scenario. Oh, okay. Um, Well, that's nice. Yeah, a great way to like keep momentum of like we're on the downhill. Like let's let's fucking go.
0: It feels like if they really wanted to upset the prophecy, they would like propose peace or something.
1: I think they, uh, you know that. Yeah, that is a good question. I mean, that doesn't sell the (laughs) sell the books thousands of years ago, but you know, I think once, uh, once Odin killed Brock like had committed himself oh it was once he had stolen the uh the mask back they're like the only way to go get that is to go to odin right and the only way we can get through the wall that the giants built that's protecting asgard is to take the fight there well what do Uh, they
0: care about the i mean the mask must be instrumental in stopping ragnarok because like
1: they made it in this game why would they care about it So the mask already existed in some way and Kratos or Atreus helped put it back Mm -hmm. together. Okay. Um, So they go, Ragnarok, like the final battle on Asgard, shit does not go well at all for anyone. And when they're like trying to make a decision of like, how do we move forward with this? Like, can we move forward with this? Um, They see like, at Asgard, people Midgardian refugees had like settled camps there, and you'd seen these camps earlier in the game. Um, and that like innocent people are getting killed by all of this other destruction. And Kratos is like, we need to protect the people over the mission of trying to get to, um, to Odin. At this point, like, we need to make sure these people are safe, and then we'll figure out what our next steps are. Type scenario. So like again, and, ha- and how does Atreus handle this news? He agrees. Like, he's like, all right, yeah. This, these are he sees like Kratos being like, this is the decision we need to make, like these are the yeah, choices that we can make to general. be good. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, um, and there's some other stuff that happens here that's like kind of neat throwbacks to the first game, um, but are, are kind of tangential. But they end up making it toad and, um. Kratos, Atreus, Freya, and Mimir are all together at that point and defeat Odin and give him an opportunity as well of, like, we're not going to murder you. And then, um, they end up... Odin refuses to succumb, right? And it's like, there's no... there is no path forward here, like, essentially takes their option again. So, they end up defeating him and, um trap his soul into like the spirit zone that the giants have that can like trap people in and they're like what do we do with this stone like this is odin's essence is in here type scenario um and sendry shows up and grabs it and just smashes the shit out of it with a hammer <laughs> boom <laughs> you're like go no more, Odin. um and again it's like that dichotomy right is being played out here directly in front of you of This person that just had death and is like purely motivated by revenge versus like now Kratos has looked in the light of like this reasonable person that's like, hey, maybe we should be thoughtful about what we do as opposed to just murdering this guy. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So you see that. And then throughout this entire time, also, people are like. Kratos, you never were the god of war, like, you were never a god, like, people worship us, right, as, like, Thor and Odin and stuff, like, people come to to us and, like, for safety and security and stuff, like, no one has ever come to Kratos for that. Um, So him being a general here and, like, making the choices to try and save people and things of that nature is, like, him stepping into a different light um, to kind of take his place as a god in some capacity or at least as like a respected person probably is a better way of putting it. Yeah, that makes sense. I thought he chose to do that over going for Odin, but he
0: chose to do both, which is I suppose he, he, makes sense.
1: Yeah, he chose to do it at that point he didn't know that he would be able to go after Odin. It was I like, see. okay, Okay. We need to prioritize this, and, like, Atreus, you go the other direction and see if you can still, like, break through the wall, but, like, I need to go save the people.
0: Yeah, that makes sense.
1: So when they make it to the end of the game, there's a new mural that's revealed by Angerboda, and in the mural, it depicts Freya, or not Freya, goodness gracious, Fae. Can't they be a little bit different names? Um, It depicts <laughs> Fae, Kratos' wife destroying the mural that prophesized their fate so like Faye went um, as a giant went against her own people and was like no this fate that's driven for these people is not going to be theirs like i will destroy it and in doing so set them on their path to determine their new fate did that have to do with her own death I think there was some element there, uh, either her own death or also like why she was in Midgard as opposed to with the giants anywhere else, um, or something of that nature. Wow! So she is the one who, first of all, enabled there to be
0: a sequel. So thank you, and also like enabled Krat. I mean, this saves Kratos and Atreus. This saves Kratos from dying. Right? That was yeah, pretty the mural much that yeah. she destroyed. Yeah. Yeah. As well Um, as, presumably, saving him from being, like, corrupted eternally by being the god of war.
1: And Atreus from... Although Atreus still becomes, like, a servant of Odin in some capacity, right? Right. But doesn't fulfill, like, standing alongside Odin, per se. Kind of like an unwitting ally. I don't want to take away
0: from the emotional... I mean, that sounds... I'm assuming that's presented masterfully and is very
1: moving. So that's presented well and what is presented in a way that is actually moving is Kratos and Atreus recognizing that their paths now need to diverge and as Kratos is looking back at Atreus Kratos tells him like Loki has to go but Atreus will stay here and touches his heart Uh. and yeah that's the moment where I was like God damn it! And it, it absolutely broke tears from you. Wow! Always, this is this is rare. This is this might. There's less than a handful of moments that I've cried during a game. So this kind of,
0: uh, who did you say directed this one? Uh, Eric Williams. So Eric Williams has had a child go to college, and Corey Barlog has had a child, like, reach. Some man, like, there was a joke here, teenager, but I think. yeah, uh, yeah, that's really cool. Uh, I have a practical question, which is like, do we in the West compare Ragnarok to like the Christian end of the world because we have nothing else to compare it to? Is is Ragnarok just mainly an event of the gods, or does like
1: all of humanity die? That's a, that's a great question. Um, It, the way that it's presented in this, like, game was that it was, pro- like, it was prophesized that, like, everything would essentially end. Okay. Um, so, what, so it is truly the end. Yeah. What actually happened was a subset of the gods ended up ending. Because of their interference, it sounds yeah. like. Well, and the prophecy was, like, mistold, essentially, right? Like, the yeah what ends up starting as like actually so i think to your your point it probably is more leaning into like actually like asgard where like odin sits is going to end and thor and others there so more of a direct impact of like the gods will end from that capacity but like midgard where like most of the people were at and other realms like they'll be fine (laughs) and then odin trying to interfere with that to make sure he doesn't end essentially tries to set forth like everything ending so
0: that is cool and that's kick-ass i can see even from this top level summary why the first one kind of sticks out in the imaginary more because it sounds like a kind of like i was saying earlier like everything points back at just this simple relationship yeah whereas this is like an ensemble piece about uh like a world event instead of just kind of a personal uh, journey.
1: Exactly. I think that's the piece that had definitely created like a different level of the discourse. And the ensemble piece does rely on you having some sort of capacity to care about a lot of the ensemble, right? Like about those individual stories. And um, if those resonate in any way and there's more of an opportunity for you to be like ah this one doesn't work for me right or this one has some plot holes or this one just like has something that's just not as resonant like I don't have a sibling or stuff like that right where I think to your point being able to glom onto like this one specific event people could hold on to that and be like okay this this thread is truly the thing that's interwoven throughout everything
0: yeah I think that makes sense I I mean I think it's also like if you're making a duology, it makes sense to have one of them be the sort of like art house narrow focus and the other one to be kind of more expansive. It's a good, like, it gives the series a little bit of everything, I guess, or gives the duology a little bit of everything.
1: It does. I think the one piece that didn't wrap up until like the last 40 minutes was like the, the meta narrative that permeated across the entire piece that was still taking into account and, like, referencing where this character came from in some of the places that they never were, right? Like, they never were respected, they never were revered, this character never was, right? Like, you could take this outside of the context of just this game and be like, oh, in culture, they weren't this. Like, they were never reviewed as, or not, like, never seen as this character that people wanted to look up to, and... You know, as a franchise, they've molded it and been able to shape it into that direction through storytelling, which I think is, like, a really interesting take that takes into account, like, the 20-year history. Yeah. Which, I think that's the piece that became truly, not mind-boggling, but it it was a really interesting piece. Like, I don't have many other contexts in my life where there's some media that... I interacted with in 2005, and then re-interacted with a different version of it in 2022, and it was able to call back and also like reframe it in a way that is like, yeah, that did, that was shitty, and you're right, those things weren't great, and we can be different now. So it's like to see a franchise grow in a way that is representative of broader culture trends and can take account and, like, ownership of that in a way that it isn't discounting it, but also is looking back. I mean, like, yeah, we could be better, I think is really interesting.
0: Yeah, that's beautiful. I mean, I think it's what you would hope people would be able to do. Yeah. (laughs) It seems like a much more nuanced version of cancellation.
1: it, It absolutely is. And I think that's the piece that... I mean, to have that opportunity, unfortunately, you have to wrestle with a previous history that is shitty, right? Like, you can't shy away from that existing as well, and you have to have that starting point to be able to to build back in the other direction. But I think gaming has an interesting space there, because the gameplay can be something that can hold value throughout that entire space, while... The narrative and what's being said is something that can change and evolve um and you can have like those two things in tension with each other but still connected
0: as in the gameplay of the new game references the old one enough to maintain a continuity yeah like yeah i i think
1: that makes sense and you can see that there's like a connection there um and the, the weapons that are chosen here, bringing the spear into it and things of that nature. It's like there's like a bunch of pieces there that do reference kind of cross-generational um, areas and are able to connect the stories. But, or at least connect, I guess what I'm trying to say, like they're able to connect them in a way. That isn't canceling out its previous thing, while it is able to cancel out a different part. And I guess when I look at like other mediums, like a comic, right, this isn't or a square movie, one
0: rewrite, which
1: makes it way more powerful. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> like, this draws
0: on the yeah. I, you, totally, I get what you're saying. Yeah. How much do you think? How much less of an emotional impact do you think this has if the original games didn't exist?
1: Not substantially.
0: I think just because they're damn good depictions of narrative, it sounds like.
1: Yeah, I think the, to me personally, like my own personal history is what shines through in here, right? Is like through, I had a strained relationship with my father. And so to see a character come in and like be able to show love and see love and then have someone that ostensibly couldn't show love finally reach a point at the end where it was like, I see you. I see who you are, Atreus, and, like, I respect that, and I love you for it, and I'm still going to, like, see you on your way as as your own human. Um, and I think that has no need or bearing on having the existing franchise that existed before 2018. Yeah, that's just something we all want that gets earned in this game. Yeah, exactly. So have you da- had
0: your dad play yet?
1: Yeah. <laughs> I have not had my dad play it yet. I don't, <laughs> think, I don't think that will ever happen.
0: Um, Maybe a bunch of boomers will play video games like this in retirement.
1: I mean, my dad personally is 70, so I think we're... Yeah, bro, we're, where are I have passed that point? We're kind of there. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah. Just gardening instead, I guess. Yeah,
1: gardening and dog things. Um, yeah, so I think that kind of sets it where where it exists in in culture as well
0: did you find it surprising that stories that were so emotionally centered garnered such widespread uh, acclaim
1: in some capacity because specific to this medium yes um and the long firm storytelling like in order to see the full journey like to to understand what the character does and understand the payoff or the the like resolution of any of the emotional beats you're looking at over 20 hours that you're committing to it right and and that's just in Ragnarok right so like for others to to reach that and understand that emotional point there's just a requirement of time that's invested that's so much greater than many other things or some of the other standouts in gaming that I think that we hear about from a story perspective, you hear under five hour titles, right? Like Yeah. Um you look at, at standout narratives and even if you go back to Gone Home or different titles that people right, kind I mean, of continue that... to hold up, it's like these but... things happen in a couple hours. The AAA space is important there, right? Because it can make it
0: last that long and make it be good that long.
1: Yeah, and I think you mentioned that from a broader perspective that there hasn't been as much fandom around Ragnarok. And one of the criticisms I think that I saw was people were like, "It's just too long." Um, it, is it longer than the first? It is longer than the first.
0: Huh. So you said this was about twenty. The first one was, I what, think, more like twelve.
1: The first one, um, let's see here. Twenty eighteen was about twenty, and okay, Ragnarok is like twenty six, but probably closer to thirty if you're doing any because there's side like side stuff. quests and stuff in it, right? Yeah, I think if you're looking at the if you're doing like all of the side quests and there's some substantial pieces of like storytelling that happens in some of the other side quests. That I think yeah, are, I heard they were big. Yeah, like, I don't believe that there's wasted content in there, but if you look at all that stuff, you're looking at over 40 hours, Um, where I think if you were to look at the original God of War 2018 and did everything in there, I think you're like 35 hours or something like that, right? So. I mean, the biggest thing I heard by far was critiques of
0: the... What's the space telling you how to solve the puzzles and the game's kind <laughs> of not having patience with the player in that sense?
1: Yeah, Atreus, which, um or Mimir always... just like shouting out like, hey, you should throw your axe over there. Were there the were they
0: were there those kind of puzzles in the first game as well, or were those puzzles kind of more making a prominent appearance here?
1: They were I feel like, but uh, yeah. I was
0: gonna say I feel like criticisms like that are always pointing at something bigger.
1: I think the place of that. I think there's an accessibility change that's happened since the first one too. So I do think that there is more. There is a lot of uh, exploration and kind of wide linear design within the first one, where you can kind of go off and do some exploration. But I do think it took a little bit broader of a step forward here. Um, and they use that those places as opportunities you know from a pacing perspective to slow down or pause the plot in some capacity um but i i think something that we've seen over the last few years across mini games and honestly a lot of these are like sony games um is that incessant piece of like hey we have a lot of people that are going to play this and we don't want them to get stuck here and this feels like a something got play tested and they're like this is a point of friction and we want to make sure there's as low friction bar as possible that people don't get to this point and be like oh i can't figure it out and turn away um and over index on trying to smooth out all of those rough sides yeah i mean i think the question
0: then is like why have the puzzles if they're not directly contributing to what's propelling the players forward but then you get to a place where you just would cut all side content i
1: feel like i guess Right. I think you start into some sort of slippery slope, but um, I think they're intended to act as a way of friction to, like, give you a reprieve from combat and make you think differently. Um, To your point, though, I, I by having the people yell out the solution, it undermines that, but it doesn't remove the purpose of there being a pause. That's true. And it is interesting from... I don't know if there is a direct correlation to the accessibility aspects here, but, like, God of War has extensive accessibility options when it comes to colorblind and sound and changing the way that combat functions so you don't have to press buttons rapidly or in different combinations. Like, there's a ton of options there to open up the game to the widest variety player base that you could possibly have and there isn't a toggle for this um which is is interesting but it does feel in concert that this is one of those places where it's like how do we continue to increase and make sure that they every aspect of this game is accessible um and to me whenever those like things came up it wasn't that they' were insulting the player's intelligence although, it, I could see that people could get that. It just felt like it was an option, another piece that was like, hey, we want to make sure that this thing is is Access 1 isn't imparsible, but I, I'm sure there's a different, better way they could have done
0: that. Yeah, I think it just, it, it kind of feels like it's a, a frozen moment in time of game design accessibility conversations, right? Like yeah. they could have made it a skip puzzles thing. There, there's just a bunch of, I think that conversation is very much ongoing.
1: It. I think it's ongoing and it feels specific in some capacity to the AAA space. um, Yeah, absolutely. Where there's the resources to add all these features and toggles and buttons and every different which way of options to do it. Yeah. I agree. I mean, it's an interesting...
0: The whole thing to me is just so... I, I, I guess I f- maybe this is a good segue to like kind of where we're at in the industry and what this says about Sony and what this doesn't say about Microsoft <laughs> <laughs> or Nintendo fuck if I know where to place them in this conversation but like yeah. it's interesting to observe from a distance because in some ways these games feel like they're really pushing ahead at the future of what games are but in other ways they're kind of engaged with the past of games and kind of like it seems like Sony's whole AAA games initiative is as is both progressive and conservative, I guess is something that stands out to me. It's, it's, a they're moving as much ahead as they are kind of selectively engaging with different ways that games have worked in the past and what games have dreamed about being in the past and kind of really doing a great job with that. And it's, it's interesting
1: to observe from a distance. To me, it, it's almost that Sony looks at the game gaming medium as, like, a bunch of, you know, rough stones that have been put together and, like, tossed yes. around. And they're like, what if we just take those stones and start to, like, buff them out and shine them and polish them to the nth degree and, like, remove all of the edges on them and create something that's truly beautiful underneath and it is still... Representative of what was there before, but it's just been refined down to like the corest essence that it can get to, and I feel like that's where yes, Sony's AAA initiative has. That's led. such a cool way to say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because I think you've you've absolutely crushed it. Like the games here, and if we're going to compare it to other mediums, it's like these things aren't in many ways pushing the conversation. From a, like, mechanical perspective, they're not going to end up on the, the conversations of, like, oh, what was the mechanic or way that interactivity shifted in this year? And it's like, what well, Sony's games probably aren't going to even be in the conversation of, like, how has the interaction part or the interactivity of the medium changed, right? They're going to shift the conversation on, like, how has the ability to tell stories continue to mature and then how have we used technology to further storytelling within the medium using the constructs of what already existed yes which i don't i think to say that that
0: doesn't push the industry forward would be an overstatement too that polishing even if things like celeste i get there's just a bunch of ways you could make this argument i think polishing those stones like that pushes things like accessibility and Kind of overall respectability of the medium forward, even while not necessarily innovating, which is kind of interesting.
1: I mean, it um, gives you the thing that you take to an executive at HBO, and they go, "We could yeah. make a mini series out of this." Yes. Right. Um, so I mean, especially considering
0: how, yeah, they ha- they can be pretty conservative and still see a clear path to return
1: on that. Yeah, and I think that's one of the places that. Gaming existed for, you know, 40 years, 50 years as like a medium that regardless of what we might say about it, like it's been like constantly seeking the approval of others. Right. And being like, we want to be respected as an art form, like respect us, please. And yeah, I guess maybe Sony's the
0: one that brings that. So the rest of the indie space or whatever can just go on about making weird ass
1: shit. Yeah. It's like And, and then that weird ass shit can be polished up in five years and some will be like, holy crap, like this is incredible. Like, what is this? And, and then everyone that's already like in the scene is, is moved on to the next thing. They're like, yeah, like we've been doing those things for a while now. Nice of y'all to catch up. But Sony gets to then bring that into a place that's more uh, digestible to the, to the wider audience.
0: So by this theory of polishing, do we think Microsoft is instead like trying to do both the polishing and the innovating and therefore not really
1: succeeding? I think there's a capacity there. I We talked about this a little bit previously, but I really have a hard time not looking at the industry and comparing it to the movie industry, um, especially when we're talking about the context here of... What Sony's doing from a gaming perspective and then what Marvel has found success in adopting from comic books and being (laughs) like, how do we take these stories that have been around for a very long time and really clean them up and polish it and make it sound great, look great, have great humor, like check all those boxes and put it out, right? And then success after success after success and ending up into Academy Award conversations with, like, Black Panther and things of that nature. And then you have DC, who you're like, you also have the same capacity, right? Like, you have source material, you have money, you have resources. You could do this, and you're trying to do this, and yet not able to succeed. And Microsoft, you know, has spent a lot of money in Purchasing and acquiring studios and talent, right? And, um, and I tried to even they have out. an
0: actual Santa Monica studio.
1: What's, what studio of theirs is there? <laughs> um, the studio in Santa Monica is The Initiative, which, who did nothing. Um, oh, you love to hear it. They have been working on Perfect Dark. Um, so is reboot, that a remake? Okay. Yeah, it's like a reboot of a, shooter that was on the Nintendo 64 was the first one um, made by Rare Microsoft acquired Rare they made another Perfect Dark on the 360 I think, Perfect Dark Zero I think it was a launch title Um, and yeah so then they built the initiative which obviously Sony Santa Monica there, there's a bunch of studios um, in that area of California with Blizzard um, and you also have like insomniac games has a location there so there's like a ton of talent in the industry of AAA folks that are down there that they poach to go build the studio to make triple a games um and nothing has come out of that studio yet so we were riffing on days gone being sony's only microsoft
0: game <laughs> um and it escape it, it uh-huh. does not escape my attention wasn't that made by sony Bend? do you think it's only things south of the
1: california oregon border oh man is that uh, microsoft's problem is they're just to seattle uh, that might be but uh to be fair sucker punches in seattle and ah, fuck you're right Yeah, ghost of sushima um and then you also have uh guerrilla games in amsterdam what a, what a good save well yeah so. sure
0: yes all right and I'm out of the American studios. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Um, Insomniac destroys your point, but or not Insomniac? A sucker punch.
0: Um, yeah, it really does. Insomniac I, does too, though. But I mean, North Carolina is the California of the. I don't think so.
1: So Microsoft is such a curiosity, though. To your point, like they so they built that studio, then they built the coalition which, like, a studio sensibly created to make more Gears of War or to take that, like, that's another franchise that you could see. It's so close. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's so a close toxic and...
0: masculinity game.
1: Yeah, it's like, if you're looking at a game that could take the formula of, like, hey, how do we take that and mature it into a different direction? Like, it absolutely feels like a studio that's directly right like, all right, let's do the God of War thing that's appropriate for this Game and like remake what Marcus Phoenix and all the other stuff there is You're like okay, um, they've been trying to bring Fable back uh, with Playground and like none of these things have just like come to fruition and they even bought uh who is the studio behind Hellblade um oh, Ninja okay. Theory um yes and you know the sequel has not come out yet but. Um, that was another game that had a single take camera that came out in 2018 like five months before God of War um, too dark yeah which yeah has like most people don't it isn't even talked about but yeah so like Microsoft has clearly been going for this space uh, actually, of, like we that, want that's... to be in that conversation we want to have prestige games that end up in game of the year conversation and I think Hellblade is a really good
0: example of one of the things that I mean, I'm not even close to an expert on this, let alone the, like, part of it feels like it might be a management issue, too, right? Like, how do you coordinate and align a team on a vision? It's like a culture question. But uh, Hellblade is an interesting example because when I'm thinking about this, like, if you imagine, like, what makes a Marvel or a Sony game, like, these are games that people are into who aren't necessarily inherently invested in the medium and it or in the, like... The emotional core of the story, and I guess it feels like a real easy temptation would be to over-index on the emotional intensity, right? And I feel like that's what Hellblade did. Like that's a that's a PTSD story. Um, yeah. And I think almost in the same way that DC tends to over-index on the comic side of it sometimes.
1: Yeah. Um, Hel- or the it's yeah. I want to remove Hellblade from because when Hellblade was made, Ninja Theory was not owned by Microsoft at that time. That is true, huh? But okay to to be fair like they went out and bought that studio off the back of that game though um, yeah. and then have been funding them to make the sequel so I think there's there's something there also the incentives are different at this point for what Microsoft is doing versus Sony and I think that that's the thing yeah has to play in a, a place here where you get your with, hi-fi rushes not your uh
0: God of Wars.
1: Yeah, like, you're like, I I want content to be on a service that people can subscribe for. I don't need to worry about, are people going to go drop $70 I need to sell 10 million of the copies? Like, I just need to have content that's available on this service, and it needs to be good enough that people don't cancel their subscription or people are willing to subscribe. But you need innovative and short, I think, is what yeah. you want. I think you still need, like, Netflix still exists in a space where they have, like, stranger things, right? Like, there's something that brings people into the door. Um, And I think that's what they're looking at is like, hey, we want to have something marquee, and we're going to fund studios to have that so we can say this is the prestige piece that you subscribe to for, and then we can have a bunch of other studios. Producing other things that don't need to meet that that quality bar. Let me hit you with this, and maybe this is the liquor talking. Flight simulator. It's Microsoft's
0: God of War. Man, that's not a bad take.
1: That is not a bad take. That uh, yeah, it's kind of interesting. It's also interesting that you bring that one up because Microsoft, as a company, is like truly More of proud a... of that. Right, yeah. like that's more. There's of a, micros- a history and yeah, exactly. like uh, there's something that is saying about like, hey, us as a company doing this thing has to have a stamp of quality that exceeds most other things that we do. Yeah. Do you? Oh man, that's so. That's actually a fucking great question. Sony is behind and in investing in these things because these things represent. Sony, right? Like Sony is represented, while it is a larger company, right? Gaming is not its only space. Sony is a small company, like especially in comparison to Microsoft. Sony is a, a very small company in in a quantifiable way, right? Yeah, um, Microsoft has Xbox as a brand, but the games don't have to represent Microsoft. Correct. And it feels like that comes through in the quality of the games. Like, Sony, when they're playing something out, they're like, we have to hit a certain level that's going to represent who we are. I don't feel like that comes through when they release Halo of like, hey, does this represent Microsoft as a brand?
0: Well, I mean, the we get into like, yeah, it does. Microsoft is like a company known for the left hand not talking to the right, right? Across all of its products. I mean, but I hear yeah. your point. Yeah, yeah. Like,
1: like where Flight Simulator, to your point, though, like needed to pay homage and recognize like the entire history of the company of Microsoft because of it's like just the length of time that it's existed within that business as opposed to Xbox, which is a relatively new offshoot for them. I think even more to the point, like
0: Flight Simulator is a technical product that shows Microsoft's core as being like a cloud company. That's also true. Is Sony's gaming division bigger than their film one in terms of revenue? That's a great question. I would certainly assume so, but I don't know. I don't know. Um... Are you looking this up? I am. Excellent. I, I'm not sure which way this one's going to go.
1: Well, that I found the Sony's revenue worldwide by segment fiscal years 2012 to 2021. oh yeah. Um... Gaming and network services makes up twenty four point four percent of their twenty twenty one revenue, which is larger than any other single segment of their business. Really, I I thought I always remember the old bit
0: that like their insurance was their like
1: main moneymaker. So their financial services is thirteen percent. Imaging and sensing solutions is approximately ten. Electronics products and solutions is approximately twenty. Sony Pictures is eleven. Sony Music is ten. Um, so yeah. Well, that's crazy. Yeah. You know, so
0: I guess I have to ask, what about Microsoft? Ooh, great question. Eight percent is gaming. Twenty-three percent is Office. What? Thirty-four percent is server and cloud. Twelve percent Windows. Four percent enterprise. 6% search and 7% LinkedIn. Okay, so... Man, that's crazy that Windows is still above gaming.
1: That, I mean... It, it's, it like, just not shows... crazy,
0: but it is crazy.
1: Yeah. I think, to your point, um, it starts to show where, as, a, like, a company, like, where their priorities are going to fall, right? Like... If one fourth of the company is dependent on gaming to be their, if that the largest segment, like if that fails, right, that has a far greater impact on their business and line of business than Microsoft having flops.
0: Yeah, I think that's true. I, I guess I'm curious, does that lead, like do you think it's cheaper for Microsoft to pump out several double-A games per year overall? and therefore like since it's a lower revenue stream they're just putting less money into it and this is what you get or are these just genuinely different strategies that are going to stay different
1: I think that they are different strategies i this is my perception just from following the the industry for a long time is that the level of like patience um is exceedingly longer for Sony to allow a studio to try and get a game to the level that they want, and I think Microsoft yeah. has a shorter point of like what they would consider shippable. Um, yeah, I think that's probably a good way to summarize it. Yeah. And so, it, which makes it hard because there is games that I think from Microsoft that, if given a longer time to to incubate, like. Could probably reach into that stratosphere, but I don't think they're incentivized to reach that level because I think, to your point, based on their revenue streams and based on the subscription based model, at a certain point, the cost benefit analysis of like a game being a double A versus a triple A just doesn't matter anymore. It's like, hey, this is good enough, right? Like, this is going to get people playing, there's going to be engagement. Getting that extra level of polish to move this from an eight to a nine would be great, but financially doesn't make sense. Totally, yeah, I think that makes sense. Which I do think that starts to um, get into that space that you're seeing with their indie games, essentially, like the micro games that are coming out of their well-developed studios, where you have like a game like Pentiment, um, which I. Can't wait to hear the podcast uh, that you record on that. But hype, it's like you have something like that where it can have a smaller scope and an appropriately sized budget, and like get to the point that it needs to be. Where I, I don't know if it skates under the radar, but it like has more freedom. Um, because they do need content and because of the smaller scope, there's still like incredible developers there. So I think their ability to push that further down the envelope is, is enabled by them. Yeah. I don't know.
0: It's, it's an interesting combination. Yeah. I mean, it's very fascinating to watch from the outside. I'm into like more of the unpolished stones, I would say. I like that metaphor. Yeah, but I'm—I guess the only thing that really makes me worry is that—is that Microsoft is going to try too hard to be that and lose out on uh, what I think they're doing well at right now, which is kind of bringing these smaller, novel things.
1: It is. I mean, <laughs> it's interesting. They went and bought. Bethesda yeah and
0: as College. such yeah I mean yeah
1: like they bought a bunch of studios that were putting out games yeah you know, it's been a hot minute for Bethesda Softworks to actually have a game that's in that conversation but you have um oh man it's the team behind uh Deathloop and Dishonored Arcane right, yeah. so you have like Arcane Studios you have id <laughs> making Doom, like you have the um, Machine Gun Games, who was doing Wolfenstein, like these other studios that were making games that were stretching towards that top echelon, and then you're obviously in the conversation of buying Activision Blizzard King um, and acquiring a bunch more of the top talent in the world. Yeah, yeah. It's like, their acquisition strategy is to buy studios that are capable of making the top tier of games. Yeah, I I
0: guess we'll have to wait until Starfield to really speculate on whether they're,
1: like, (laughs) is it like they destroy everything they touch? I mean, a hot take with our conversational here. Like, Starfield's going to be an 8 out of 10 game, probably, and continue down the trajectory that Todd Howard has been working on for the last fifteen years, like the the best of that studio is already behind them. So it's less interesting to me to see what they end up doing and more interesting to see what some of the other studios do. The best is behind them, huh? You don't think they're gonna pivot? Um not unless there's a pivot in creative leadership. You think Todd Howard's gonna todd Howard? I think Todd Howard's gonna todd Howard and I think there's uh I mean just based on some of the behind-the-scenes conversations of how Fallout 76 was made and the other games, like, the, the way that studio functions, I don't think that shifts unless something changes, right? And I am curious if this is something that adjusts with Microsoft owning so many studios, is that Sony we could probably talk about this for a minute is that Sony has like a well integrated pipeline in some capacity where studios are independent, but they seem very much in touch with what one another is doing. Um, And utilizing tool sets and, or studio spaces where I know for a while, I believe it was with infamous like sucker punch went to naughty dog to use their performance and mocap studios and things of that nature where doesn't seem that many of Microsoft studios are like cross collaboration and using one another to level up each other. Yeah, I wonder why that is. I'm I mean company culture. I think but, yeah, I mean maybe that is part of the what you mentioned about Microsoft like left-hand talking to the right and also The medium is notoriously hard to handle from a creative standpoint, right? You see Google and so many other companies that get involved. So I am curious how much of them looking at it is like, hey, we bought Bethesda. They've been putting out great games. Like, leave all of those people alone. (laughs) Like, let id make what they're going to make. Let Arcane do what they're going to do. Let Tango Gameworks do what they're going to do, right? They just dropped High Rush um, that people are freaking stoked on like let that's these so studios good. do their own thing and for better and for worse, that doesn't maybe necessarily bleed over as much into one another as you see with like Insomniac and Naughty Dog being right next to each other. Totally. I, I mean, yeah, I, I guess that's very
0: interesting for them to choose between, right? The the collaborative Sony model and the let all your studios make what they want. But constantly be subjecting
1: them to your kind of corporate
0: values, which might push <laughs> things out a little
1: <laughs> early. And then you compare that to someone like EA, where it's like, hey, everyone needs to use Frostbite, right? So it's like, it probably don't want to do that across your studios if you're Microsoft, but at the other side of that, I'm everyone Make
0: if... whatever the fuck you're making, but make sure you deliver by the exact due date is probably not
1: great either. Yeah, and maybe don't worry about if your tools can be shared across development studios and, like... I I think that there is some sort of enhancement or advantage that Sony has from their, like, tools pipeline support is that it seems like there's less of it in some capacity, so they're able to raise the bars of those things that they use to create these games to higher levels to empower the creatives. Yeah. Um... That's a bit of speculation. I mean, there is... Like, not everyone's using the same engine, but you do see... It does seem like there is some additional focus there, which
0: I guess... Yeah, I mean, then you have your, like, Forza Horizon series where, like, they've got widespread player base, but they don't really seem to be able to meaningfully iterate on it other than, like, okay, make more of that. Right, (laughs) yeah.
1: Do more of this in a new location. I mean, essentially, Horizon became a a sports franchise, right? Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Here's here's the new version. Couple every other year. Um, I do have a question though with Activision. Like, yeah, assuming that acquisition goes through, Activision has become. Prolific at the multi-studio model to make one thing, right? Like, yeah, a dozen plus yeah, studios true. making Call of Duty, and cross collaboration across countries, time zones, all the different things, right? So, yeah, maybe uh, that's why they're buying them. So, so that is like a legit I... <laughs> curiosity of like, are they looking to figure out like, okay, this company has figured out how to get all a bunch of different studios. That we're working on different things, like taking like a studio like Toys for Bob and being like, "Hey, cool! You made like Crash Bandicoot four. Guess what? You make Call of Duty maps." And like they they moved them to it. yeah. Like, what? How did this happen? That's brilliant.
0: Yeah, I mean, maybe like I mean, you know, from acquisitions, do companies ever buy other companies just for their culture in that sense? Like to learn from it seems like a very high EQ move for such a high dollar value transaction.
1: Um, the funny thing is, like Activision's like almost the value of Sony. Qbuy but um, oh man, that's yeah, fun. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which makes all the antitrust stuff like real funny. Um, it is funny, but I I don't think you buy it for the culture. But if they, I mean, obviously, like the IP is incredibly important, right? You're buying Warcraft, Diablo, and Call of Duty, mm-hmm. like. Seems like a good get. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and Kang's mobile stuff. But I think. I guess we shouldn't underestimate that either. Yeah. Yeah. I think if you look at them and you're like, you could buy them for their technical pipeline if there is something that they're doing unique, kind of cross company that you're like, man, to try and figure out how to do that on our own versus someone that has an established knowledge and. Has been able to prove out the concept, um, and has like the the runbooks and tools in place. You can see that being worth something, or at least some level of the component of the acquisition choice. Yeah. Well, it'll be, yeah, it'll be interesting. It's it yeah, feels I like mean, two it... different pathways that they're both traveling. It doesn't. It doesn't feel like Microsoft is directly chasing Sony. I mean, they have a... St- I mean, them building... It,
0: I felt that way too, but your points about the Coalition, Perfect Dark, like, Halo even, like, I don't think they're fully committed to being like an indie, uh, like, mid-tier indie game studio either.
1: No, I definitely don't think that's the case.
0: <laughs> so, like...
1: They're trying. The Bethesda one really pushes it out there, also because like those studios yeah. are talented that they bought there. Absolutely. Um, and like the Dishonored games had were in conversation like Game of the Year conversations, right? Mm-hmm. Um. So from that perspective, I guess they do have some some capacity there but I, I, I think the thing that we do is they just like look at the future and you're like do they is there an incentive on them to try and reach that same goal post and like right. I don't think there is besides pride
0: well that's what I'm <laughs> that's the thing I'm most worried about I think is like are you guys gonna kind of ruin the cool thing you have going that I appreciate by
1: <laughs> uh, you know by over-indexing in that direction. Yeah. It feels like the longer we go on, the further they get away from that also. It's like... Man, I think they... um, opened the coalition in... the same year that God of War 2018 came out. Well, that's wild. Yeah, I was like... I'm pretty sure... um, that studio opened... when did the studio... or, sorry... The Coalition has been around since, like, 2015. Um, When did the Initiative Studio... Yeah, it was founded in 2018. So it's been in existence for now going on five years, and the last we had heard about it was that Crystal Dynamics was leaning in to assist on Perfect Dark. And when did we hear that? Last year, I think. Wild. Um, Yeah, so... uh, That was in November of 2021, I think. So, yeah, we haven't seen anything, no additional media content, any of the things from it. Um, Yeah. We'll
0: see. Who knows where we end up in the next ten years? Starfield will be out. You're right, it's probably gonna be an eight out of ten. <laughs> That's Sorry. probably one thing we could say for sure. I can't believe it's still on the same engine. That's what Yeah. The, I mean, yeah.
1: You'll be playing PC games still. Yep, probably. Microsoft have might have Steam acquired D2. Sony by then. <laughs> oh, so <laughs> That seems like a dystopia,
0: regardless of like let's please know. <laughs> Somehow I don't care who publishes Call of Duty, but, like, I don't want Microsoft publishing a God of War.
1: Yeah, I would prefer if, uh, competition is good for the industry. Um, Yeah,
0: it really is. So. And it's kind of great that someone like one one one-hundredth of your size is your main competitor. That's fun. That is fun.
1: And then you have Nintendo, and you're like, what? Yeah, I didn't even know where to include them in this conversation. I think they're... In such a different space, it's hard to even bring them together. Yeah. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate exploring the concepts, um, not only in AAA gaming and where Sony's at, but also, like, why God of War has been an impact over the last five years. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you for sharing with me. This has been really fun. Excellent. See you in 10 years. Cheers. We'll be back for the reboot. We'll see what God of War does in uh like Aztec culture. That sounds fucking dope. Yeah. Yeah. Please. Thanks, Corey. <laughs> Bye. Bye.